0: live and local on AM 770 KTTH, your independent conservative host, Todd Herman, welcomes you to The Todd Herman Show. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times in which God has decided we shall live. It is times such as these, and times of choosing. I consider it to be a time of choosing on a temporal basis and on a spiritual basis, and one is permanent and one is temporary, hence the name temporal. And the time of choosing is very clear for us. Man, am I excited to welcome a gentleman who is stepped into the arena at the absolute risk of his career. He's a teacher, historian, writer, and you're going to learn to know him as the proprietor of Chalkboard Heresy. Frank McCormick joins us on the Todd Herman Show. Frank, thank you so much for uh, giving me the gift of your time, my audience, the gift of your time, and and the gift of your bravery. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Todd. Um, I really appreciate you having me. I just uh, I I want to start with, just so we can get to a level set here, the proponents of critical race theory have done a number of things. One, they hit it. Um, two, when it got found out, they said it didn't exist. Then they said um, it exists, but only right-wing wackos are afraid of it. Then... They said, wait, 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 this is an academic construct so complicated that only uh, uh, people weeks away from graduating from grad school could ever possibly understand it, Uh, only the erudite. Uh, What is it, Frank? What is critical race theory?
1: I, I think the best way to understand it kind of today is it's a racialized lens for viewing the world. It sees all problems through the collective lens of race and it adds a dimension on there of dividing people um, based on their racial status into either oppressor or oppressed groups. And in that sense, it is neo-Marxist.
0: Yes, and in that in that sense, it goes. I think beyond neo-Marxism, and I think perhaps you hint at this. I don't. I don't know your spiritual beliefs, and you don't need to share that unless you want to. But you also refer to yourself um, by by virtue of the name of your website as a heretic. Um, is there a religious sort of not not component to, you, but does does this strike you at all as a religion? Critical race theory.
1: Um, absolutely I, I kind of put on um, critical race theory under the umbrella of you know wokeness or I call it the Church of woke or the new Orthodoxy. Um, I think it definitely fits the criteria for what we um, what we think of in, in terms of a religion and the purpose religion serves and so I kind of describe myself as a heretic of this Orthodox religion um, which, operates just like any other religion does in terms of having beliefs and practices and um, zealotry, ideological adherence to it. Um, Yeah, I think you're absolutely
0: right. All right. So, you know, I and my audience knows this. I'm, I'm a Christ follower, and, and I I put a a difference between religion and, and following who I view as, as my savior. And this doesn't need to be a religious discussion. That was not the point. My point of the, asking that question was sure. um, they make a charge, the proponents and writers and creators of critical race theory, um, that that all things are related to race, that all bad is related to race. race. Is that, in fact, then, in their case, the statement of faith?
1: Yes, I believe so. Um, I think it is. um, I I think a really great way as a historian to understand this is to understand it in terms of America's kind of puritanical roots and um, looking at it as kind of an evolution of that. Um, For them, the the issue of, of race and particularly when they talk about whiteness, that is their version of original sin. So white people have, you know, their their original sin is, is being white, is the sin of whiteness. And um, the, the key difference, obviously, with other religions is there's no path of salvation out of it. It's a religion of perpetual sin and self-flagellation, where you are constantly asked to be sorrowful and begging for mercy that never comes.
0: You now, my audience and and friends of this program, I want you to know something. Frank and I had no conversation about that detail prior to this. In fact, Frank and I visited for all of a minute beforehand. Frank, I've been making this comparison um, to the original sin of whiteness with my audience and and many of the other sort of um, uh, dogmatic positions of the left and and forms of self-flagellation wow. and, and sacrifice for some time. Uh, you and I are not alone in that. There are other there are actual like you, actual academics, who are making that case. Um, There's a gentleman who who uh, does his outreach in in South Africa who's made that case. So the redemption, though, it it can't be achieved, but mitigation can be achieved. And this is where I want to turn the conversation towards the kids. You and I, adult Mm -hmm. men, you are taking an extreme career risk to do this. Um, And I want to make sure you get to Frank's website. Text Todd, T-O-D-D, to 800-465 eight, seven, seven zero. You'll get a link to a site. He will need your help. I promise you will. he will. Um, Frank, we're adult men. We make a decision to stand for our beliefs and what we believe is right. And to try to defend the young when kids are in school and this orthodoxy is pressed upon them. Um, aren't they also sort of given a choice that you can never be redeemed of your whiteness, but we can help you mitigate that. And maybe you won't get hurt.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there is definitely um, a component of that, that kids are required to kind of submit to this this religious ideology and then act in certain ways according to the faith um, to mitigate um, this level of sin. Um, I think the biggest danger, perhaps, to children is— um, in terms of how it influences their social relationships um, where kids start to see each other in terms of, you know, this is not my my black or my white friend. This is my friend who is part of an oppressor group or my friend who is oppressed. Um, and that's my biggest concern. But I think you're absolutely right uh, in terms of, you know, the, they're going to be taught how to mitigate this. And, and you mitigate it through following their practices and through policies, um, Critical race theory is about praxis, the application. So a big part of it is not just learning and understanding. It's well, what do you do with it? And that has policy implications: who you vote for, how you vote, what you support.
0: How has this made it into the schools to the degree that it has, uh, in your opinion? Um, because none of this can be happenstantial to coin a phrase. Mm-hmm. It's it's far too pervasive. How did it get now into grade schools? And, in fact, Frank, in, in kindergarten in Washington State, little kids are forced to repeat a uh, stolen land pledge every morning. Wow. A, a kindergarten. How did it get here, and did you see it coming? Did other teachers see it coming? You know, I, I'd seen it coming for years.
1: I mean, there's definitely always been kind of ideological capture in the schools um, amongst progressives. I think two things. I think... Teacher education programs have become increasingly kind of radicalized. This came from academia. This is a religion of the intelligentsia that has become popularized, um, not just in schools, but we've seen kind of in greater society. So I think there's some of that. I think a lot of the new teachers coming in have been specifically instructed um, in, it's actually, the, the name for it is critical pedagogy, which is, includes critical race theory, but it's kind of the educational application of a lot of different, what, you know, what I call woke ideas. Um, I think that is the biggest source is it comes from teachers. And, um, I, I wish that weren't the case. It hurt, you know, pains me to say that as a teacher, but that is absolutely where it's coming from.
0: So long time listeners to this program remember me talking about and, in fact, having a conversation at one point with Herbert Marcuse, not with him, but uh, uh, with Mark Levin about Herbert Marcuse. Herbert Marcuse was he was a philosopher, sociologist. We rescued him from from pre-Nazi Germany, and he came to the United States and created something um, that that's is now it's metastasized into the school, which is um, selective tolerance or repressive tolerance. The theory being. You have tolerance only for the things that tear down the United States of America. He was part of the Frankfurt School, which also went helpfully about teaching kids not to think. I want to ask you, Frank, because you're a historian, when we come back, I want to, I want to split the conversation into two. Frank McCormick spent time uh, been kind of to gift us with his time. Chalkboard heresy, text Todd, T-O-D-D to 800-465-8770. You get a link to his website. I want to split the conversation into two when we come back from traffic. That is, uh, what can parents do? But I want to start with a brief history question about scapegoating racial groups in in, in big land masses and how that's worked out in society. We'll continue the conversation with frank mccormick chalkboard heresy frank mccormick's taking a career risk of all career risks he's a teacher historian and writer he has uh, launched a website called chalkboard heresy he's here with us today talking about critical race theory and uh critical i can never say that word frank i'm so embarrassed i'm a talk show host <laughs> i always want to say pedagogy but it's pedi- how do i say that word a pedagogy pedagogy See, you know what? I couldn't say Schadenfreude, so I downloaded the sound of it from online. So that's Schadenfreude. Schade, see, I got really good at that. So I'm going to just copy your voice and I'll just practice it that way. Um, Frank, is this, is it fair to say, that with the teachers unions pushing this uh, into the schools and and teachers pushing it, is it fair to say that critical race theory is now a it is a policy position of the United States government that all problems are racial and and really blamable on whiteness?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely. Um a strategy and a tactic of uh, really, you know, a certain political kind of persuasion, um, which we know who that is. Um, Yeah. I I agree. I think it's a very convenient kind of reductive approach. Um, And it's, you know, the the American public, I think people in general really like to see things in kind of black and white terms, you know, primary colors. It makes things easier to understand. And what's easier to make a problem understandable than reducing it to an issue of race than to say it's group a or group b good guys bad guys uh people love that it's it's easy and as a historian i know you know the world is extremely complex and there's grace to it but that's not what this is
0: Right, and then also there's the side you're going to stand on, and and this is a great hand trick of the left that that evil very rarely comes and announces itself and says, "Hey, how you doing? I'm evil. Uh, just wanted to commit some mass murder while I'm here. By the way, bring your kids; it'll be fun." It rarely does that. It hides within good people. Don't want racism. Racism is is racism is a vile factor of a fallen species. A human beings. We have foibles. There's racism. There's fatism. There's tallism. There's men who don't. Like women in the reverse and th- this is axiomatic to being a human being in my in, in my judgment my concern is I, I am not a historian but i have dabbled in history and to my recollection scapegoating an entire race of people as government policy i'm unfamiliar with that ending well so are there times where that's that's ended really good for societies
1: i i don't think ever and i think especially for diverse societies. There is nothing more dangerous than something like this where you, uh, fragment people and create kind of internal enemies among different groups. Um, our, our ability to survive as a nation is contingent upon kind of a, a unified shared identity. Um, and even though we always we haven't always had that, it's been our goal. And now it seems that is no longer a goal. Um, I would point, as a historian, uh, in terms of scapegoating, um, one of the closest ex- examples was Mao's Cultural Revolution in Communist China, where he literally divided. Uh, Chinese societies into what were called the black classes, the the bad classes, uh, landowners, capitalists, conservatives, and then the red classes, the oppressed, the good classes, and had the uh, the red classes, the oppressed classes um, kill, murder, loot, destroy from the uh, black classes and it resulted in millions of deaths. It destroyed Chinese society culture it was it was incredibly terrible. Uh, and a lot of people aren't familiar with that. I would encourage them to look up the Cultural Revolution, read about it. Um, the founder of critical pedagogy, Paulo Freire, was a Brazilian communist who many te- teacher education programs are using his books. Um, lauded praise on Mao for what he achieved with children during the Cultural Revolution in making them
0: tools of the state. Right. And making them hate their parents and making them hate yep. their elders and hate academics yep. and hate history and year zero. And yep. so, folks, again, longtime listeners of the program, I, 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 my hand to the Lord Almighty, I am telling you. Frank and I did not have a discussion prior to this. You've heard me talk about the fact that Black Lives Matter Incorporated, not black people, but the terrorist group, Black Lives Matter Incorporated, is following to a T with their street soldiers, Antifa, Mao's phases of insurrection. The last phase is to keep government property. Right. And to have conventional warfare in the streets and to achieve this black and white separation. In that case, that's that's not a literal black and white. But as Frank has described it, good and bad to turn. The last part of that is to turn one generation against another. So while you're researching the Cultural Revolution, you might enjoy watching um, the killing fields and to see how that 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 rolled out in Cambodia. So this stuff is is Frank. I agree with Frank from uh, chalkboard heresy. This is highly dangerous. Frank, we got about uh, four and a half minutes left. What should parents do? This is the hardest question. You're doing the brave thing mm-hmm. as a teacher. What the parents do? Because I'm saying get your kids the the blank out of the schools.
1: I, I I'd agree with you if you if you can. Um, and And I know for a lot of people that isn't a, an option or a reality just because of the way you know the the control that schools have um and the laws um I would say connect with dissident teachers like myself, find them out um you know they're they're few and far between, but when you find them, support them, uplift them in the community um because the unfortunate reality is that public education is very purposefully insulated from outside influence. So we need to connect with those insiders inside the school who can speak out, who can, uh, even if it's not publicly, they can reveal what's happening. And parents can go with that to the board. Parents can bring it to the media, to public attention. Um, I also think I I have on my website, I put up a FOIA uh, letter. People can kind of copy and edit for free and Um, use it to send it to your school district, find out what's happening. I have targeted keywords on there. Um, Get the information. I think that's what we first need to start doing is gathering that information, connecting with teachers, and once we have it, then we can start to tell people, okay, here's the evidence, here's the proof, um, here's the information we have, and then then we can go from there.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great, a great bit of advice. A link to, I'm going to send you a link to Frank's website. So easy. Just text my name, Todd. T.O.D.D. to 800-465-8770. People outside the country have asked me just to make it direct. It's easy. It's Just, just Google Chalkboard Heresy. You'll get that. It'll be Frank's website. Frank, I, I've offered this because I've also looked at the incredibly disturbing, pornographic, perverse sex ed that's being shoved into schools. And you may not have encountered that yet. But um, on the West Coast, it is, it is bizarre to the point of, of theater. I've asked mm-hmm. parents sure. to go to school board meetings and ask school board members, "Hey, do you have sex toys at home? If so, when when's the last time you used them?" Because you're asking our kids that question in fifth grade. So I've also said to they are no, I, I, you, you, wow. they're they're telling kindergarten kids, Frank, it feels good to touch your penis in your clitoris. That's what they're, That's they're telling. And and so I've just asked teacher parents to go to school board meetings and ask school board members, "Do you like touching your penis?" And okay, yeah, you should be offended. I've also asked that people go to these meetings where their schools are unrepentant. I want to know what you think about this. Going to the school board meetings and pointing at white school board members who are pushing this and saying you resign. Name a black person in your place. Do it today. Does that work exposing that sort of hypocrisy? Because, you know, they're not going to resign.
1: I think it can work. I think it can, um, you know, sometimes applying the rules they set up for other people when you ask them to <laughs> abide by their own rules, you know, <laughs> yeah. there you go. I mean, I think that's, yeah. uh, that's a great, great way to start. I, I've, I've had, I've heard that before, you know, sometimes you'll have uh white teachers say, we need increased teacher diversity and I'll say, resign. <laughs> well,
0: you well, said not, well, that? Yep, not me. Yep, uh, well, not me. <laughs> oh i I would pay money to be in the room when you said that I, <laughs> I, you know you go first uh, that's great yeah. um is it I is there like are you willing to accept prayers from my audience or prayers for your protection?
1: Absolutely, I'm, I'm happy right. to. I'll need them. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, you will. Uh, this is. I think there's a spiritual component to this, uh, personally. And and um, is there in planning any events? Is there anything we can specifically do to support you at Shockboard Heresy? What can we specifically do to help you?
1: You know, I, I I'm so I'm still getting off the ground. I'm so new to this, and I'm been so happy with how it's taken off. I would say, you know, if you can follow me on my website through Twitter. Um I'll be sharing out more info. I'll be trying to organize more things. Um but you know, for now just follow me and, and be a part of the conversation and um I'll have plenty more to share and I'm sure especially this year it's gonna get interesting. So <laughs>
0: Okay. I want you to know the last time my wife brought me someone she recommended as a guest on the program, um, he became one of the most effective and well known, well considered activists in the country, opening people's eyes. She also she was a teacher before she became a stay at home mother. So she also oh, said um, th- to bring you on. So, so thanks to my wife. Frank, thank you. Go with thank God's you. good grace. Appreciate it. Todd and Michelle continue to thank text messages. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. It's your turn to text The Todd Herman Show. The rule's pretty simple. Be concise, be precise, and drop the mic.